to you all. This week we're going to uh, continue our uh, look at some of the key New Testament passages with regard to um, biblical manhood and womanhood, specifically as it relates to the home. And so there will be some challenging discussions that we have here over the next couple of weeks as we look at these. Men, I hope that you'll be challenged to think about how you have a responsibility to exercise your authority um, in a God-given way, in a loving way, and that you'll carry out this responsibility in love and in care and, uh, and seeking to protect women, specifically your wife. And then women, I hope that you'll be challenged about your responsibility to serve as helpers as God has designed you uh, to be and, uh, and what it means to submit to your own husband. So we'll talk about some of those things today and we'll be even more specific next week. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll start looking at some of these passages. Lord, we ask for your help now. Uh, remove from us the, the, um, the opposition that we have naturally toward your word and uh, the, the wrong worldview that we automatically receive from the world around us. May you help us to be able to sort some of these things out and make uh, your word most important in our lives, what you want for us, not what feels right or what makes sense to our society. May you shape our minds this morning through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been trying to be uh, somewhat generic in, our, in my conversation about men and women, saying that it's not just, you know, that man has responsibility uh, in the marriage relationship over his wife and the woman has responsibility to submit. I've tried to be uh, somewhat general so that, so that it can include more than those who are just married because all of us are, are, are designed uh, as part of the creation order to operate in a certain way, and um, so, but this these next two weeks, you can tell by the title, it's talking about biblical manhood and womanhood at home. So this is going to be the most uh, marriage focused uh, of all of our discussions. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the husband's responsibility over the wife primarily, and the wife's primary uh, responsibility to her husband. So let's begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 5 because we want to see uh, some of these uh, potentially confusing passages, some that have been used by even um, egalitarians, those who believe that men and women are equal in every way, that is, they're equal in worth, we agree with that, uh, but they're also equal in function so that they have the same function as as man. So let's begin with Ephesians chapter 5 because here's one of the primary passages that people turn to and they say that, okay, we, we must not understand what submission means because in this passage it clearly says that we must submit ourselves one to another. Okay, let me read this passage and, um, and then we'll try to draw out some principles from it. Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll begin in verse 21. And be subject or be in submission to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so there's Paul's command. Now he, he goes on. Verse 22. 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Our goal for the next two weeks is to examine the text and draw out application from the text based on what the Bible has to say about a man's responsibility to his wife and a wife's responsibility to her husband. And um, this... this uh, passage is founded on the idea that that both men and women are to be humble. That's you see that as we were reading through the section on on men, that they are to uh love their wives as as uh, Christ loves the church. They're to love their wives as they love themselves. There's a sense of humility there that it's not just a or it's not just, it's not at all a domineering type of leadership, but rather a humble sort of love that the man has to have. And the same thing, obviously, is true for the woman as well. Um, But what gets mixed up here is this idea here in chapter 5, verse 21, that we have this responsibility to be subject to one another. Okay? Be subject to one another. So this is what we have to answer. Is Paul calling for mutual submission? Is he calling for... Okay, let's just take it in this example here. Is he calling for wives to submit to husbands? And is he calling for husbands to submit to wives? Is there supposed to be some sort of mutual submission? And that's, in fact, what is argued here, that because of our reverence for Christ, that men are also supposed to submit themselves to women. Now, as I've mentioned before, the word submit means to voluntarily yield in love. Okay, voluntarily yield in love. And, um, and that really seems to be the motivation. Look at verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In recognition of our responsibility to Christ, uh, Paul is calling for these subjects to be in submission, to voluntarily yield in love to the other. And um, so we have to try to address what's going on here. But if you uh, if you think about this, sometimes what happens is not sometimes often what happens is people take verses out of context. Okay, so they just take this one verse and say, "Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ." There you go. Everybody has to submit to everybody else. Um, but if you recognize this within the larger context of what Paul is saying, you will see that this is not talking about everyone being in subjection to everyone else, but rather each person 
that Paul is going to address needs to be subject to the other. Okay, so let me just show you how that plays out in this passage. In in uh, verses 22 through 33, wives are to be subject to their own husband. Okay, so there's one way. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, children are supposed to be subject to their own parents. Okay, then verses 5 through 9, slaves or servants are to be subject to their own masters. Okay. Now, I don't think anyone would argue, including egalitarians, that parents are supposed to be subject to their own children. Do you see? Okay, so there's not a mutual submission between a parent and his child, is there? That only goes one way, that a child is supposed to be in submission to his parents. What about a boss to his servant? Is the boss ever supposed to submit to his servant? Okay, no. And that's not what Paul is saying in those passages, and that's what I would argue at the end of chapter five, that he's showing, okay, we need to be, or, or, or we need to be subject based on the relationships that we, in which we have responsibility, we need to be subject to the person who's over us. So, for you wives, that means you need to be subject to your husband. For your children, you need to be subject to your parents, and for all of us who are employees, we need to be subject to our employers. Okay. So we have to understand the context, and if we if we see the larger context, uh, we should recognize that 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 that's what Paul is referring to in verse 21. Okay, Grudem lays this out in that that um, in that uh, book that I mentioned at the beginning of class. It's uh, the biblical masculinity and femininity that's uh, on our website, and it's free of charge the, the the electronic version of that and if you want a, a further discussion of that specific of this specific verse he takes a whole chapter just to talk about that okay it might be a little bit uh weighty for you but um because he gets into some of the greek and and uh and things but but i think the point that he's trying to make is a good one all right well what does it mean to uh this this first section in chapter 5, what, what is the wife's responsibility to the husband? What is the husband's responsibility to the wife? Okay. Um, first of all, this is just a summary. A wife must submit to her own husband in the Lord. Okay. And then there's all these sub points that we're going to look at. A wife, that's the basic summary of the passage. A wife must submit to her own husband, the Lord, verses 22 through 24. Okay, there's several things we want to notice about her relationship or her responsibility to her husband. Number one, a wife is in no way inferior to her husband. I've been saying this throughout the class, and I want to make this very clear. When, when God made man and when God made woman, He made them in His image with equal worth, equal value. Okay, and We are not uh, arguing that in any way. What I'm saying is that a woman has a different function in, with regard to the creation order. That was seen at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, and that's seen in the most intensified relationship that a man can have, that a woman can have, and that is a marriage relationship. Okay, So she's not inferior to him in any way, so don't think that uh, either men or women, don't think that about, uh, about the woman. All right, number two. A wife is to submit to her own husband. Okay, this is important. 
A wife is to submit to her own husband, not every husband. He's not. Notice the text. I just want to show you this in the passage. I'm not just making this stuff up. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay? So, the idea there is that each of you need to be in subjection to, to your husband. Okay? Each wife needs to be in subjection to her husband. And then number three... Wives should submit as to the Lord, as they would if, if the Lord, you know, if they were submitting to the Lord directly. Okay, that doesn't mean that they treat Him as omnipotent kings of the universe like the Lord is, right? But it means that um, that she subjects herself, she submits herself in, in cases where she disagrees with Him, she's happy to follow behind, remember? The, the yielding is the idea of not wanting to usurp his authority, not seeking to usurp his authority, and uh, and not desiring to usurp his authority. That's biblical submission. All right. Um, and number five, number four, a wife's first allegiance is to Christ. It's kind of a um, kind of a re- repeating of what we just said here. Uh, obviously, the, Paul's not calling for wives to to uh, disobey Christ because they have to submit to their husbands. You understand that? Um, because the husband's authority is actually God's authority. And so, as long as he's not opposing God, he must be submitted to. That's the idea. Um, if his... If a husband pushes his wife to disobey Scripture, then obviously she should respectfully refuse and remind her husband that she must obey God rather than man. All right, so that's uh, that's a summary of the responsibility there in verses 22 through 24. And then the reason for that is found uh, here in the next verses, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Verse 23, Paul says that husbands are the head of the wife. The head, which implies authority and function. The, the husband has responsibility over his wife. And the reason we know that that implies authority is because of the illustration that it pictures, and that is Christ being the head over the church. Right? Christ is not some passive participant in in the church, is he? He is the head of the church. He is the authority over the church. He he has responsibility over it. That's the same uh, relationship that a husband has to his wife. Um. So the reason is uh, is it supposed to picture? the church's relationship to Christ. All right, so before we get to the next part, any questions on that? Some of it's review, but I wanted to make clear that verse 21 especially because that's debated among people who discuss this. Yes? Uh, starting in which verse there? Verse 15 or all the way, all of chapter 5? 
Yeah. Um, Yeah, a kind of a, a mutual uh, agreement. It seems to me, he's, uh, though in verse 21, he seems to be um, kind of uh, summarizing or setting up his next main points. Um, but I, I can see, uh, I can see where you can draw that from. All right. Anything else, Vicky? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. Anybody else? All right, husbands, it's your turn. Husbands are to love their wives, or each husband is to love his wife, as Christ loves the church. Um, Several lessons that we can draw from this, but obviously, as I mentioned, you have authority over your wife. You have a responsibility to lead your wife and we said that that means that you need to provide and to protect for her, protect her, and um, and obviously lead her in spiritual things as well. This is Paul's intention for husbands that they have this headship and that they model the headship that Christ models over the church. That there is a a, a love that is that goes along with it. Look at verse 25, husbands. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and He gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. That He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Okay, Think about what this means, that Christ gave Himself for the church. In what way did Christ give Himself for the church? Go ahead. Okay, he died for the church. Okay, and so that's the that's the model that we're shooting for. That may mean that you have to die for your wife. Now, most cases you're not going to have to, but but um, but that's the the self giving that is necessary on our part. That we're willing to do as much as is necessary to protect and to provide for our wives. Now, it may mean literal death, but but for all husbands, at the very least. It means actively building up your wife spiritually. What was Christ's purpose for the church? What is Christ's purpose for the church according to these verses? What is it? Give me some exact phrasing from verses 26 and 27. What is His purpose for the church? To present her as spotless, to sanctify her. Okay, so here's the model, men, that we ought to, to follow. We ought to be looking to present our wives as spotless on the day of Jesus Christ. We ought to be looking to 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 sanctify our wives, um, even if that means you've had a long day and that you're both exhausted, and that you don't want to sub, sub, subordinate your preferences to hers. Okay. This this may mean okay. There's a difference between submission and subordinating preferences. Okay, I've mentioned this before, but but we ought to be careful, uh, men, because sometimes we we get drunk in a wrong way on the theology of authority, and we think we can just 
run over our wives and make them do whatever we want them to do. And here's what the Scripture's saying. You need to love her. Okay, You need to do it for her benefit. This is what Christ does for the church. And so that may mean that you subordinate your preferences to her. That, you know, she wants to go to a certain restaurant and you want another one, then you're happy to subordinate your preference. If she wants to go to bed early and you want to go to bed late, then you're happy to subordinate your preferences to hers. You know, there's going to be some give and take. There's going to be some discussion that comes along this, but headship does not mean uh, authoritarianism or domineering, uh, a domineering spirit. That's not what headship is about. It's fundamentally giving of ourselves men for the good of our wives. Okay, this is going to become more clear when we look at 1 Peter, but giving ourselves for the good of our, lo- our wives in order to love her and to honor her, um, to build her up, to care for her, to sanctify her. This is what we're seeking to do. And if you notice in this passage, when he's talking about the wife, he says the reason that you need to submit is because your husband is your head, just like Christ is the head. But did you notice when he talks to the man, he doesn't say anything about headship, does he? He talks about love and care and giving of yourself for her. Look at verse 28. So husbands also also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So he's like it's it's self-denial. This is what this is what headship means, men. Hey, don't get um don't get proud on on your authority over your wife. Um, but rather love. Do it for her benefit. Do it for the benefit of Christ, yes. But that's what should come into your mind. That's, I think that's what Paul's point is. Okay, He's saying, women, when you submit, you should think your husband is your head like Christ is the, the head of the church. Husbands, when you think of your relationship with your wife, don't think about headship. Think about love and care. That's what you, should, you ought to think about. All right? Any thoughts? Tina, thank you. All right. I'll I'll uh I'll thank Paul when we get to heaven too. <laughs> Trish. Right. 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 I came, he says, that you might have life. In other words, uh, or even Second Corinthians 8, I think it says, um, you know, he being rich became poor so that you being poor could be rich. I mean, it's that, it's that transfer of, of honor and love that, that he, right, he didn't, we, didn't, we don't deserve. And, uh, and that's the thing. It's, Um, no, I, I didn't follow that. Yeah. 
Uh huh. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, the the ultimate thing that a man ought to be looking for is what is going to help, you know, obviously our relationship as a family to Christ, but specifically my wife. What is her best interests? What are her best interests? Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because uh you know, that's the way that that you women are designed. That's the way God that's a great point, Paul, because um you know, you are designed to be loyal, to be loving, and that comes uh comes more naturally to you. Obviously it's still a struggle to love your husband. Um but um but it comes more natural to you than it does to to us men, for sure, because we can tend to be more task oriented and and not think about relationships as much. Jared. Right. Right, right, and that's um, obviously there's there's going to be oversight. I mean, you can't have your hand in every single situation that goes on in your home, especially when you're not there, uh, you know, 60% of the time. So there's going to be some deferral, and there, but generally there ought to be oversight, just like a a king would have over his his uh, ruling officials. You know, they're not going to say, "King, we'll do this, and we'll tell you what we think." The king's going to say, I'm showing you the general direction we need to go, and I'll dole out responsibility to you based on your gifts and so on. And and ultimately, responsibility falls on me. But yeah, it's a good point. You don't want to go to the other extreme and just say, okay, I'm subordinating my preferences to my wife, and so you just take the lead, and I'll follow right behind. That's good. Bill. Yeah, not in an ideal way, but the responsibilities are still there no matter how ungodly the other person is. I understand the responsibility, yeah. but I think Paul has given us that to understand the, the fully mature, godly people. Absolutely, yep. Good. I bet if you had a show of hands this morning, how many women die for their husbands? Probably wouldn't see too many hands. And on the other hand, you probably wouldn't see too many hands that be raised to die for the wife. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah. And, and the real test of that too is, um, you know, we we can say that we're willing to do that, but the real test of that is, are we willing to um, lay down our 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 living for our spouse now? Okay, so. We can talk about, you know, if I ever had to do that, I would. But, but here's the real test: is, you know, am am I showing 
so much love right now to my spouse that um, that if it ever came to a place where I had to give my life, then I would. Well, we need to uh, continue on here because uh, husbands, you're not off the hook yet. So, <laughs> all right, and this is uh, this goes on to verse 28. Husbands ought to love their wives as as they love themselves. Verses 28 through 30. Okay. Um, Look in verse 31. Specifically for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Does that verse sound familiar to you? I've read that multiple times, and that comes from where? Genesis Genesis chapter 2 at the end, right? Verse 24. um, God had proclaimed this to both Adam and Eve, and uh, this was the... This was the picture of marriage that was uh, stated there for us in Genesis chapter 2. And the idea of one flesh has more to do with intimate relationships physically, though um, it certainly includes that. It has to do with a covenant that the man makes between himself and his wife in marriage. Okay, And so Paul's saying at the bottom line here that, that when men and women marry, they are not two autonomous individuals before they they are married. There are two independent individuals, but when they marry, they become one flesh. And that's why he can say in verse 28, men, when you actually give of yourself sacrificially for your wife, it's just like you're loving yourself. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Can you think about that for a second? He's not saying love your wife like you love yourself, although I think he does say that in other passages. Here he says, when you love your wife, you are loving yourself. And, And in this case, this is a good thing. That the more loving he is, the more intense, the more sensitive he is to her needs, you know, no man would ever let himself starve, Right? Or, or, um, or, or deprive himself of the joys of life. He's always pursuing those sorts of joys. And so that's what he ought to do with his wife, with his wife's desires and needs in view. Next, both husband and wife should remember that their marriage speaks to the world about Christ's relationship with His church. That ultimately this is a model. Okay, That we are picturing something. It wasn't like, you know, God said, you know, this, this is kind of a neat illustration of what Christ in the church is like. No, He designed what Christ in the church would look like, their relationship, and then He designed the marriage to model that. And so marriage is not an end in itself. It is only a picture of what our relationship as a church ought to be with Christ. This loving headship that God has, has allowed us to be a part of with Jesus as our head. You may not like men how this is set up and that you have to give up of yourself, that you have to sacrificially love your wife in some cases, but but what you ought to recognize is that this is a picture that God has set up. He wants to point people to the beauty that there is between Christ and the church. And one of the ways He does that is through godly marriages. When the man and the wife, like Bill just said, are spirit-filled and are living in love toward one another. All right? 
Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, look at another passage, and as we're turning, do you have any questions or comments? 1 Peter chapter 3. Yeah, Jared. I mean, ultimately, our uh, relationships of evangelism, our, our responsibilities for evangelism is within our relationships. I mean, I, I've never felt compelled to have to go to everybody in the restaurant and tell them, you know, just like I don't feel compelled to tell everybody in the in the grocery store. Um, I mean, I think gospel relationships, evangelistic opportunities come through relationships, and so we ought to be developing relationships there. But yeah, you're right. There's there should be a model. Uh, um, not not just, okay, this is how we're going to act in public, but this ought to be the way that we live and so that even our family members who know us the best, you know, our children, um, extended family when we go to be with them, you know, they, they know us the best. They see us for, the, for our faults and yet in that they can still see the, the love that we have for each other. All right, First Peter 3, 1 through 7, another powerful passage here for both Wives and husbands. In the same way, verse 1, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that, you may, uh, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be with the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So, here, Peter is fully in line with Paul, isn't he, on, on the responsibilities within the marriage relationship. We talked about submissiveness there in verse 1, being subject, subject yielding yourself in love, ladies. Um, so we're not going to repeat all those things. But we do want to uh, point out a few things. Number one, godly submission is powerful, effective, beautiful, and rewarding in and of itself. Okay? Godly submission is rewarding in and of itself. Um, we we said that a wife's submission in Ephesians 5 means something like yielding yourself in love. Um, and that means that it, it requires a an active willingness. And 
Not, not just a passive, okay, I'm going to do whatever. No, it's an active willingness to, to not usurp His authority. Not to have my own way, but to have the way of my husband to follow behind Him. Um, Peter fills this in a little bit and he talks about what's most important. It's not about our beauty, ladies, it's not about your beauty. Uh, but rather the beauty that you have as a woman ought to be your gentle and quiet spirit. Because physical beauty is is superficial. Just like the Proverbs 31 woman, you know, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who does what is to be praised? A woman who fears the Lord. Okay, so the, the same idea comes through here, that it's not about outward adornment so much. And, and the point is not that Okay, don't care about how you look. Okay, just kind of come disheveled whenever you're out in public or whenever you're with your husband. doesn't really matter. It's not the point. The point is that that's not the thing that you should care most about. Okay, the, the thing that you should care most about is your spirit, is your gentle and quiet spirit. And here Paul, uh, Peter says in verses 1 and 2 that it actually can win an unbeliever to Christ. Okay, obviously we understand from Romans chapter 10, that a person cannot come to Christ apart from the spoken or written Word of God. How can they call on Him in whom they have not heard? His point is not, okay, with, with just a good testimony, a person can come to Christ. His point is, that he assumes that you've already, or he has already, the husband has already heard the Gospel, and now he actually sees it in the day-to-day, uh, 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 he, he sees day-to-day evidence of it in your life. And so you can actually win your husband to Christ just with without a word, with with uh, your the way that you live. And this spirit is uh, of great worth in the eyes of God. Look at um, the end of verse four. I'm talking about this gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And um, further, Peter says this makes you uh, one of Sarah's daughters. That is, one that possesses the same characters as she was commended for. Okay? And so, whatever you think about what we've been talking about, submission, yieldedness, you know, giving uh, of yourself to your husband and so on, uh, the fact that God values it should be what is at the center of your mind. That this is something that God values in, in wives. And then verse 6 tells us that it grows the faith. Uh, it, it grows a person's faith. Faith, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become your children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Hey, why, why would Paul mention fear here? I think it's because you know he knows what kind of spirit that that women generally have, that women fallen women have, that that to, to actually submit herself to her husband could be a fearful thing in a society which rejects that sort of idea. To follow someone else's leadership and to, really, if you think about it, um, put yourself in a vulnerable position, women. Right? You're putting yourself at the authority, at the, at the direction of someone who is... Uh, imperfect himself. Okay? And he could possibly lead you astray. Uh, and, uh, and so what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position so it's actually a frightening thing not only to, 
to um, stand up against the tide of women in our world, but also to put yourself in a position where he is, he has the authority. And so that requires faith. And this is what the idea here, not, not ladies, you need to start calling your, um, your husband's Lord or anything like that. That's not the idea here. Um, the idea is having a submissive, a subject, subjecting, a yielding sort of spirit. Um, all right. I, uh, I saw, saw a, um, a video earlier this week. It was, uh, it was a Today Show uh, interview that they did with a lady who wrote a book called Biblical Womanhood. And her um, intention... Uh, I'm not sure what her intentions were, but she, she, what she tried to do was go through the entire scriptures and say, see what the Bible had to say about womanhood. And uh, she tried to, she tried to do all the things that that the Bible would say. Now, she didn't do it from a dispensational perspective, so she's just taking all these things that were Jewish, what Jewish women would do, and she tried to do them. So she would make everything from scratch. She made her own clothes, um, you know. Uh, when she was on her uh, menstrual cycle, she actually lived outside of the home like they would in the Jewish times. Um, she called her husband Lord for a week, and it turned out to be, I, I thought it, you know, when I first saw the, the article that, that linked to this video, I was thinking this might be a, a, a you know, good exercise. Look through all the scriptures and see what it has to say, but it, it turned out to be what I think was actually a mockery of the scriptures. And I don't think she was really serious about what the scriptures had to say or at least about determining what uh what her responsibility is in this age and um so anyway I, that's just kind of a side um but i need to finish up here mark Fruit and nuts, yes. All right. I'll keep that in mind. I'll write myself a sticky note. Put it on my hand. All right. Godly leadership involves a man's deliberate thoughtfulness toward and joyful, um, joyful honoring of his wife. Men, this is, I think, one of the most powerful verses when it comes to your responsibility to your wife. This is a verse that I often remind myself of when... When I'm uh, when I've got my tunnel vision on, and uh, and so I would encourage you to to meditate on this verse. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Okay, there are some some powerful words that you need to understand. Here, verse seven: You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay, that's the main part here that I want you to focus on. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Your responsibility is to love her, to sacrificially give to her, and to live with her in an understanding way means that you need to be considerate of her needs. I need to be considerate of the needs of my wife. Okay? Um, And that means that, uh, as other texts say, a man needs to live with his wife according to knowledge. That he has to have knowledge and understanding about his wife that he ought in order for him to consider her he needs to think about her okay this doesn't mean this is what you fill your thoughts with all day although it shouldn't be less than that but uh but you need to study her you need to learn what she loves 
what she doesn't love. And you need to take pleasure in those things and leading her in those things. What, what kind of desires does she have? What kind of fears does she have or frustrations, likes and dislikes? If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, then you're, you're ignoring those sorts of questions. You don't care about her likes or dislikes. You're just kind of going through life on your own, you know, follow behind, get in line here. I'll lead us, and I'm not going to be concerned about you as I go. And so that means you need to make sure that you are understanding what it is that makes her tick. What is it that uh, makes her ticked? No. Uh, but what what are the things that she loves? What are the things that she she enjoys doing? And then how can you capitalize on those things? What are her strengths? How can you how can you employ those strengths in the pursuit of godliness, which which is what you're trying to get her to do, and what you're trying to do for yourself? What kind of weaknesses does she have, and how can you help her in those ways? Okay, this is living with your wife in an understanding way. Uh, a, a domineering husband is one who doesn't understand his wife. He doesn't care to understand her. He simply plows through life not being concerned about her at all. Now, this next part of the verse is a little bit more complicated. We'll get to this um, in another class. Uh, Treating your wives with respect or honor because she's the weaker partner. Okay, we'll talk about what that means. It's not talking about um, necessarily physical or mental strength, um, but, uh, but we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. I think I've got one more point I need to address here. Yeah, husband treats his wife with honor because she is a fellow heir of God's promises. Okay, um, that, you see at the end of verse 7, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Okay, she's not less than you. She's not inferior to you, men. She is on the same plane as you in God's eyes. In Christ, she is equally uh, accepted. And, uh, and so you need to live with her in an understanding way and recognize that she's a fellow heir of the promises that God has for us. All right, well, we're going to uh, get into a lot more application next week. We, we didn't really uh, do a ton of application. I wanted to address some of these passages here, but I promise we will next time. All right, I got time for a quick question or comment. Vicki? Yeah. Yeah, I I um I I think uh no one of us as men is um you know fully up to the task apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We need we need to be constantly being guided by what the Spirit uh you know says and and that's and the, the way that we do that is by by doing what we're doing right now. We're looking at passages of scripture that guide where we're supposed to go, not just kind of Moving on through life and and doing it, however, Bill. Oh, there's a, a lot of women that I've met in churches where I've been that smarter than husbands as far as the scriptures. Uh huh. Seem to study it more, love it more, care about it more, and so the husband just kind of falls back in and lets the wife kind of lead, and you can you can see it, you know, who's the the leader, and I think it's terribly wrong. 
promise to the lady to be smart about scripture, I said, God bless you. Keep on learning. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it can go the wrong way too far. Yeah, the initiation of spiritual direction ought to come from the husband, but in some cases the, the husbands are lax and that, you know, again, ladies, your responsibility is to Christ ultimately. And so if your husband is not going to lead in that way, you need to make sure that you're still following Christ. Jared. Right. As the tone of voice. Like the, the two sides of the coin, I'm supposed to talk to her tenderly because of her position and just try to talk to her respectfully. Like, I have an example of the guy at work that always tells his wife to go lady. Yeah. You know, you know that's on the opposite side, I don't see Abraham following Sarah, even though literally she was, to go lady. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that's, that's how I would take it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna talk about that here in the next next week's Trish. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, the idea I think is more in line with what we've been talking about with yieldedness. A general spirit of yieldedness is the idea. Not overbearing, I'm going to have it my way, follow behind me. Yeah, that's the opposite of what we're looking for. Vicki? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, again, ladies, prompt your husbands in this way. Make sure that they're uh, staying in line. But husbands ought to prompt their wives, too. You know, make sure that, that we're keeping this as something that we need to be working at. But ultimately, um, you know, we, we have to keep going back to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures tell us our responsibilities are and how can we make sure that we're in line with them? But, I mean, I think we should, we should be thanking the men for what they do. Yeah. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Jesus Christ and His uh, model for us of how He leads the church and our responsibility to be subject to Him. I pray that we would uh, make that our goal in life and uh, and pursue that. And I pray that as spouses that we would take on our responsibilities with great joy because we know that it's from You and it's something that You are pleased in. I pray that You'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.